You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. There are many different paths you can take. But there's only one road to Atlanta. A high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Dansby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am your host, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com, where I've been the deputy site manager since 2018. I'm in the minor league editor since 2015. Uh, None of you really seem to care too much about how long I've been there, but I do like to kind of let you know where I'm coming from. Now, normally, this is the part of the show where I introduce our normal co-hosts, and that would be Garrett Spain, Garab Vidak, the rest of the minor league crew. But that is not what's happening this week. We're going to do a little bit of a special episode this week, and I'm going to have a very special co-host to be talking a little bit about his journey to being a professional baseball player, the Braves' first-round pick from the 2021 draft, former Wake pitcher, and now Atlanta Braves pitcher, Ryan Cusack, is joining me this week, and we're going to talk a bit about his journey to the pros. Ryan, how are you, my man? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you taking the time. I know that during the offseason, free time is – I, I say very precious because, you know, you're just at the time where you're getting to unplug a little bit, also kind of getting the work that you need in. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me a little bit about kind of what your journey to the pros has been and what, what adjustments you've been making and all that stuff. And I know that a lot of people, I would get asked a ton about you, who you are as a pitcher, what we can expect of you. I, I probably get asked three times a week as to when you're going to be in the major league. So I don't think we're going to be addressing that this particular podcast. But, you know, again, we, uh, it tells, to, tells you a lot about kind of what Braves fans are like in terms of how excited they are. Once they get a new prospect in the system, they want to know when they're going to be seeing you on the mound out there in Truist Park. So we have a lot of ground to cover. Uh, hopefully we can get through all of it relatively quickly so you can get back to your what you have going on, this, going on the rest of your day. Uh, the first question I had was, when did you start playing baseball? And kind of as you kind of were growing up playing, when did you realize you were good at baseball? And like maybe that being being professional was in the cards for you. Yeah. So coming from the Northeast, I'm from Boston. And there's not exactly a ton of pro prospects that come out of that region. Um, Certainly not as many as around Georgia. Um, But I think... I really started to realize maybe around ninth grade uh, that I'd be able to play division one. Um, I was working out with some guys that were those division one type of arms and they were somewhere had moved on to be pro arms. And I think once I started working out with them, and 
realizing that I could work just as hard as them. And if I put in that same type of work, I could get to that spot. Um, that's when it started to, um, you know, be in the back of my mind. And as I went throughout high school, it just became more and more of a reality. Um, and that's what my dream was since I started playing. I was five years old playing T-ball in kindergarten and um, started pitching in third grade. So once I, once I got on the mound in third grade, I knew that's where I wanted to be. And I wanted to be in a pro uniform. So you were a pitcher since third grade. You weren't playing other positions because I know like a lot of kids when they grow and you you play like the best player, they play every position, like whatever they can get their hands on. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was playing shortstop. I was playing first base. Um, I was catching a lot in little league. And some of my coaches liked me behind the dish before um, on the mound just because I could throw anyone out on that small diamond. But uh, no, I mean, I I love pitching. And that's what I would do with my dad. We'd go out to the field. You know, I'd take a few ground balls at short and and hit some soft toss, but it'd mostly be every day, you know, just throwing him getting down on one knee and just giving me a target. Well, I imagine that your knees are probably pretty happy with you that you decided not to stick behind the plate and you actually got to stay on exactly. the ground. Yeah, those guys, those guys, I don't know, they're they're built different, that's for sure. Yeah, um, I don't know how they do it. Yeah. So you start playing high school in Northeast, and you're actually from a pretty small high school in the Northeast as well. Um, and when you graduated high school, you were a pretty highly guarded draft prospect even back then. You got drafted, one of those late-round picks, again, a lot of one of those kind of you call it a courtesy pick, you call it a, a follow pick, things like that. Right. But, but that didn't reflect where you were regarded as a draft prospect. You like, could have gone m- maybe late day one, early day two, if you had decided to go pro, you know, just based on where rankings were. Like, it's, you know, it's impossible to really kind of project that sort of thing this far down yeah. the line, right? But what ultimately drove your decision to not go pro and decide to go to Wake Forest? Right. So, I mean, I played on that summer circuit that a lot of kids play on after their junior year of high school. The, uh, the World Would Bat, the Perfect Game National, East Coast Pro, Area Code, um, kind of traveling all around the country. And that was the first time that I really compared myself against the best of the best. You know, I'd be pitching on one mound, and then the guy coming in after me would also be thrown in the 90s. And I was able to see, you know, how was my stuff compared to his stuff and how does it match up against these hitters. So, um, you know, I thought that, I was ready and I ended up making a move. I was at my public high school, Lincoln Sudbury for my first three years. And I ended up transferring from my senior year to um, Avon Old Farms, which was a step up in competition. We played more games. We went down to Florida for, uh, for two weeks to play some games down there. So instead of playing the, the 15 games in the, in the uh, public school, um, Boston area we I went down to Connecticut and we, we were playing 35 games and getting more reps and against better competition so I made that step kind of in preparation kind of like a test to see if I'd be ready you know for the college game or for pro ball and um, you know living on my own I was two hours from home and um, I felt like I was in a spot where I was ready to make that next step to pro baseball um, and that if I got picked where I wanted to, I'd be ready to make that next step. But, um, you know, things didn't work out and it ended up being the best thing that ever happened because it's not like I just became a normal college kid and um, went back to, you know, playing video games and, um, you know, not really focusing on baseball. But instead, I kept that same professional approach that I 
was preparing for senior year of high school and took that into my three years at Wake. And that's why I was able to have the three most productive years out of any other college player and be where I am today. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so I guess my next kind of the follow-up there is, you know, obviously, you know, going to Wake Forest worked out well for you. Uh, but when you're making your decision, okay, I'm not going, I'm not going pro out of high school. What made you decide that you wanted to go to Wake? Well, I was committed to Wake. I committed at the end of my sophomore year and they had um, a history of producing some pitching prospects. And, you know, it was, it was a good school, had a great pitching coach, Matt Hobbs, who ended up leaving the fall of my freshman year to go to Arkansas, but was replaced by uh, coach Hendricks, who I really worked hand in hand with. And um, we had a lot of success there um, in development and, um, I think everything kind of lined up. They had a little bit of a Northeast pipeline. Um, I was familiar with a lot of my future teammates and it seemed more comfortable to go down there as opposed to a place that maybe had only state residents on the, on the team. And I'd be the only out of state guy. Well, there's definitely a lot of that with division one guys, right? Like, you know, it's just, you know, whatever school, whatever state they grew up with, that's just whatever the big university is, they just end up at that place, you know, Michigan, right. you know, Michigan, Nebraska, Georgia, Florida, all those guys. Um, so a lot has been made of Wake Forest baseball program. And you kind of talked a little bit about the coaches there and specifically its ability to create big league prospects in particular pitching. Um, kind of give us some insight as to what went on behind the scenes with you specifically in terms of what the staff at Wake worked on with you and what kind of what adjustments they made with you to kind of get you to be able to achieve your goals. Yeah. So they changed up um, the pitching staff since I was there. Um, but during my three years, I worked with coach Hendricks and his assistant, Evan Wise, who's now at Georgia Gwinnett. Um, and I worked with them day in and day out throughout COVID um, throughout the shutdowns and everything in between And that those were my two guys. And, Without them, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, that's pretty obvious. And uh, and really, it all started with changing my uh, delivery. So as a freshman, I was a two-seam slider guy with a horizontal slider and um, some sink and a lot of arm side run. I was stepping towards the third base dugout and was more of a rotational pitcher. Um, I was quad dominant as um as that term has kind of popped up recently and I was pushing really on my toe um, into the third base dugout and not really driving to the plate and um, coach Hendricks and we talked and he said, you know, you're so strong in the gym. You have, it's not like you have to build all that muscle to drive to the plate. You just really have to clean it up and be more efficient. You need to use the muscles that you're working on in the gym um and translate and have them translate to the mound so that started getting into my hip hinge um you know it starts from the foot and putting all my weight into my heel and driving in a linear fashion from my heel to the plate um opposed to driving from my toe to the third base dugout and then trying to shift around to and hopefully my arm catches up on time so um really repatterning the lower half and um learning how to hip hinge with my body, you know, I'm six, six, got some long levers and um, I hadn't played a ton of baseball coming in the Northeast and, you know, um, hadn't pitched a whole lot of innings and didn't have a whole lot of wear and tear on the, on the arm. So it seemed like I was a little behind in terms of my mechanics, but when I repatterned the lower half, everything started to click and 
um, I began throwing harder and um, with those changes and switching from the two seam to the four seam um, and having less arm side run and more of a vertical approach. It just seemed like over the next two years, it made more sense to go from that horizontal slider to more of a uh, 12, six curve ball, um, which was then changed. We started working on a, uh, a slider that was more of a, a gyro slider that still had that same up down profile um, to mirror the, you know, the vertical approach of my four seam. So um, we attacked a lot of things and it was kind of starting at the foundation and really going back to the drawing board with that. But, um, and honestly, a few of those things are, are things that I still have to address every single day. Once they're taught, it's not that they're ingrained in my head, but it's something that I, I have to go back to and reteach myself every time I pick up the baseball. Well, I imagine that your arm was probably pretty happy with kind of limiting some of that rotational uh, force that you're kind of putting on that, putting in that sort of effort, uh, having to get your arm to catch up. And, you know, yeah, maybe, you're, maybe you were a little bit fortunate coming out of the Northeast. You just didn't have the same mileage on that arm because with that yeah, approach, definitely. Yeah, definitely, you know, work, you know, a lot of things work out for a reason. Uh, just a quick question uh, in terms of velocity, in terms of like, once you weren't, you were going more down towards the plate and kind of getting your lower half more involved in correct ways. Uh, what was the velocity jump that you ended up seeing? So my freshman year and throughout high school, I could get it up. Um, you know, I touched a 97 in high school and um, pretty much every outing that I had my freshman year was two to four with a few higher ticks when the adrenaline got going. But um, as the season wore on and my freshman year, I lost a little bit of weight during the season just to the, the travel and not staying on top of it. Um, it's a long season, so that's easy to happen. I was ended up throwing, you know, 90, 92 down in the Cape League once I approached the 100 inning mark. Um, so essentially, uh, 91, 94 um, throughout the 100 innings that I threw freshman year. Um, my sophomore year, I ended up being, I mean, it was COVID year, but I was 95, 97, touch a, touch a nine every once in a while. And then this year, I was, uh, you know, 97, 99 in the first inning, touch of a 102 and um, would settle in around that 96, 98 for the, for the rest of my outing. It's always wild to me, just kind of like those, just getting your mechanics cleaned up, you know, like a lot of people were like, you, oh, he has to get, you know, more size or more muscle to be able to throw harder. And just when you hear guys just like, no, I just was more online to the plate or I made this one adjustment and, you know, I mean, obviously it wasn't just one adjustment in most cases, but just like little adjustments here and there, how big of a difference that makes. Uh, and yeah, kind of, again, absolutely. And it, it's about, it was for me, I was kind of a sponge and just listen to what, what they had to say every single day. And, you know, the first 20 cues that they tried to give me, it didn't work. And it was finally that, that one cue that all of a sudden it clicked and I felt all of a sudden I felt the ground and I felt strong in that position. And I was able to utilize the muscles that I worked so hard on in the gym for the pat for the previous five years to gain. Um, and it finally clicked and translated and made a huge difference. That's awesome. So you find some success in your freshman year, albeit with some great growing pains here and there, not particularly strange to happen for a freshman uh, coming out of a Northeast school. Uh, you pitch well in the Cape Cod league, Obviously, with the COVID year in 2020, you pitch you pitch well in very limited action. Um, just don't get to pitch all that much. And this year, you put yourself on the you put yourself on the 
the map in a big way, throwing as hard as you were, uh, the success you were finding at Wake. And I, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is now we're kind of getting into that pre-draft process before this year's draft. And the question that I'm sure a lot of our listeners are wondering is when did you realize that the Braves were really, really interested in bringing you into the organization? And, you know, did you think that, you know, at the end of the day, when the dust settled, that they were going to be the team that drafted you? Yeah, that's pretty funny. Honestly, I knew that they were interested about five minutes before the pick. Um, And I think it was right around the 22nd, between the 22nd and 23rd pick. Um, is when I realized that things were going to look that way. And, uh, you know, when approaching draft day, after never going through it, being a first round guy, um, and especially never going through there and and being in person at the draft, um, you never know what's going to happen. And one pick can throw off the draft. So, you know, I knew that there was probably a group of like eight or nine teams that were, that were seriously in the mix, um, you know, in that, in that first round. And uh, I knew that the Braves were one of them, but I hadn't had a, um, a real Zoom meeting with them up until June when I had, I think, 25 Zoom meetings with, the, uh, with every other team um, in December and January. But I did have a good relationship with the area scout, Billy Best, and he um, had spent a lot of time around Wake and I think he knew me and looking back, if I probably counted the number of times that people saw me, he probably saw me the most and just hanging around and seeing me get my work in, even on days that I wasn't pitching. Um, I think he became familiar with the type of player that I was and the type of person I was. And um, I think that's kind of what ended up making the pick. Uh, just so our listeners are aware, uh, Billy Best is the, the area scout in North Carolina, and a lot of Braves prospects have joined uh, the organization because of the recommendation of Billy Best. And if you were to ask people in the organization among like the best scouts in the organization, Billy would be on most people's short list. So to say that Billy was that excited about you and really built that relationship with you and you know a guy that came from North Carolina in his area joins the organization speaks volumes to the work you do uh, did and kind of what he sees about your future because Billy Billy's very very good at his job. Um so I actually talk want to talk a little bit about what you alluded to which was the draft night festivities, right? Cuz you were one of the few guys that actually got invited to attend the actual draft. It was a live audience. First time we had it, that same, right. like they have, they had done the NLB network, you know, studio stuff where they had a few guys in there and they were just kind of like sitting in a row next to each other. It felt a little sterile versus what we saw in, we see in like the NFL NBA where it was just kind of this grand spectacle. And they really tried to do that. And I think that they did a good job. Um, what was that experience like and kind of, you know, having that live audience, um, were you nervous at all that you weren't going to go that first night and you were going to be one of those guys that they were going to have the camera on wondering when you're going to get called or uh, kind of what I mean, like your whole family's there, obviously. So what was kind of that whole, that whole experience like for you? Yeah, it was really cool. Um, I think it's always, it's always a decision that you've got to make. And, um, and really I got invited two weeks before the draft and during those two weeks, I'm having some private workouts and I'm still trying to feel things out. And um you never know what's going to happen. So, you know, I, I had, I thought that I had a really good shot with, um, you know, five teams of being surefire first rounder. Um, and I guess, I guess, right. But, um, it was definitely a, a gutsy call to go out there. And I'm so glad that I did because 
it just made the experience even cooler if it was even possible. So um, to go out there, be with my family, and um, Coach Hendricks was out there with me, and um, Greg Robbins, who trained me since I was in eighth grade um, up in Boston, he was out there too. So they had us all fly out, and it was a really cool experience just for things to come full circle. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So now you're brave. Uh, congratulations on that. And you go down to Florida for your post-draft workouts. You throw some bullpens down there and you make your organizational debut in Augusta, uh, which I was sad to be able to miss. Unfortunately, I was hurt for that period of time where making that drive out to Augusta was, wasn't feasible. I couldn't put my foot on my gas pedal, let alone drive for uh, three hours out that way. But uh, and you make six strong appearances, you know, and you were as advertised, you you know, the fastball was crazy live. Uh, you know, you were dismissing those guys. I mean, the, the low A felt this year like it was never going to be a challenge for you. And once you got there, that's pretty much what happened, right? Um, in your experience, though, making those first few pro appearances, did what adjustments did you did you make any sort of adjustments to kind of what you were trying to accomplish now that you were a pro versus kind of, you know, you're if you're at wake, you're trying to win every game. You're you know going after you know ACC titles and trying to ad- advance. But as a pro, you're kind of developing, adding things to your repertoire. So kind of this first experience as a pro, what adjustments did you make as a pro? And what was the biggest difference that you saw in going against professional hitters versus, say, you know, the guys in college? Right. So I think that. Some of you just mentioned there is important, and I think it attributed to a lot of my successes that a lot of people do have that mindset of, all right, I'm in the minor leagues. I am going to step back and try to work on things, and I'm not really going to care about the outcome of the game. And I've played baseball my whole life, and I just don't get how you could step out on the baseball field without trying to win. And I think that I never lost that aggression that I had. And if um, anyone that's listening, if you've seen me compete out there, I'm a fiery competitor. And I think that's what has led to all my success so far. And I think it's what's going to be the key to my success in the future. And I'm just never going to lose that. And I think a lot of guys um, tend to be like, oh, I'm going to work on my breaking ball today. And I just don't get that. If a kid can get out with fastballs, I'm going to punch him out as fast as I can. Um, so I think that um, love to hear it. Was love to hear it. Happy. There's a happy medium to that, but um, you know, definitely not forgetting the competitive fire while also having an approach. Oh, okay, well, I'm going to try to throw my slider in, in uh, situations that I may not usually be comfortable in, but um, but I'm not going to play around too long. I'm I'm going to play around one pitch, and if I don't execute it, I'm back to what I need to do and what I need to accomplish, which is win the game. Yeah, absolutely. So again, you kind of, what you uh, did in your, in that kind of your pro debut was again, maybe work on a few things here and there, but like no, like no major changes or adjustments. You were just, you were just kind of show what you, where you currently were at Augusta and see how that played. Is that kind of, that seemed fair as assessments kind of what you were going for? Yeah. Well, there was a little bit of a tweak and a breaking ball. Um, 
the slider is something that I threw my freshman year and it was more of a horizontal pitch. Um, it spun more around that, you know, that 744 axis. Um, and I brought it down to more of that 645 axis um, to make more of a 12-6 shape to mirror the, the 1215 on my fast forcing fastball. Um, and the thing is, in college, I think it played a lot better than in pro ball. There's a um, you can get some swing and misses on a big breaking ball, but um, when you face hitters with uh, with better approaches, which I definitely ran into this year, where teams had solid approaches and um, were spitting on a breaking ball and just trying to hunt fastball, and they may not hit it the first three times, but they're going to try to be on it for the fourth time, um, and no matter what, they're going to um, take the breaking ball. I think the, the big sweeping breaking ball that I had in the spring was effective, but it just wasn't effective when that was my only off speed. So, um, having that slider that I worked on in June, when I stayed down at wake between my last game against Pitt and the draft, um, I developed this gyro slider and it was more of a harder pitch. It was, it was I was really thinking cutter with the pitch and, it ended up having some um, good induced spur with not a whole lot of horizontal. Um, so it kind of worked perfectly and it was easy to locate for me. And it was something that I'm familiar with the slider, the slider grip that I was using. I just kind of changed the wrist, the wrist action. And um, I was able to spot it where I want instead of the, the 12, six that really I was thrown for only six months. And it probably takes a lot longer than six months to, learn how to throw a curveball and then be able to land something with, you know, negative 15 IVB instead I'm throwing in between zero and negative two IVB where I can spot it up and it's not as big of a movement profile. It's closer to the fastball. So, um, learn how to use that. And, um, I think the idea was to use that as my primary, um, off speed off of my fastball so that I get comfortable with it and, then I can add in, you know, my third and fourth pitches um, next year when I'm stretched out and have a full season to work with. So I think I, I definitely struggled the first couple of games with my slider. I, you know, I broke off a few, but I spiked, I spiked a bunch of them and I was, I ended up dominating with fastballs those games. But as I went on, I kind of bought into the idea of, all right, I'm going to, you know, use a, use a slider in one of my opening pitches and, and see how they react and then try to find it early in the at bat so that I can find it late and be more comfortable going to it with a two strike pitch. So, um, learning how to use the slider was, was a huge, um, win for me in those six starts. Yeah. And I imagine just kind of a harder breaking ball just in those counts where you want to throw a breaking ball, just giving a hitter less time to react and kind of being able to, I mean, you're already a guy that's going to, they have to, they have to guess correctly very quickly uh when, when you have that kind of velocity coming out of you so kind of giving them a little less time to give them less opportunity to guess correctly and give them more opportunities to make mistakes and then it allows just kind of the rest of your stuff to, to play up uh you know kind of just all those changing speeds types of things uh just the, the old school arguments right you know like at the end of the day if you can throw if you can if you can throw the game at a speed it's a lot harder to time you up right it's not if you're just only throwing one speed eventually someone's going to figure out when they need to swing um so um, this actually kind of leads in pretty well here is because uh, players who ex- succeed at high levels of competition, regardless of like, you know, whether they get make it to like the actual major leagues or not. I mean, you're already 
at the tip of the top, right? Like you're already among the absolutely to ever play the game. You have been drafted in the major leagues, but a lot of those guys talk about how they're always learning and that everything is a work in progress. You know, guys who have been in the league with, you know, 10 all-star game appearances, they're still talking about how now they're changing things, how they're doing things, their approach to batters even, uh, or even just little tweaks to pitches here and there as they kind of, as the data gets better, or as they kind of, they learn things about themselves and who they are as pitchers as they get older. It's always a work in progress. So if this is you taking a step back and looking at you as the pitcher. How would you grade all of your pitches and what's the one thing that you for sure want to improve going into 2022? Well, I know that my, my fastball is elite and it's elite elite. And I think the combination with my fastball sliders is pretty lethal. I don't know what the number grade you would give on. And uh, we, we don't have to, we don't have to worry about numbers. That's, 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 that's for, uh, that's for other prognosticators to put numbers on. Right. We're just, but, we'll, we'll, um, we'll, just, we'll just use adjectives here. Yeah. I, I just think that um, my fastball, gets hitters out and there's never a time where I don't believe that it's going to miss a bat. Um, and in order to take that next step and be that starting pitcher who's dominant in the major leagues, I need that change up. And that is something that I've been working on for the past two years. And it's something that isn't, doesn't come natural to me um, because I'm a, I'm a high octane guy. I throw hard, my arm move, moves fast and um I'm channeling a whole lot of energy, tunneling it up from my, from the ground all the way through my legs and pushing off that rubber um, pretty hard. And I've struggled with having a change up with enough of a differential in velocity. I was throwing change ups at 93 miles an hour um, during my six, six starts with Augusta. And that's something where I need to figure out how to, how to kill Velo. And that's the goal of this off season, get, get that third pitch and that change up um, so that I can, end up creating the triangle of movement and really get hitters off balance. Absolutely. Well, you know, other than that, I just have one more question for you before we kind of let our listeners go and they can get back to their days and you can get back to your day. And is that there's a lot of fans, Braves fans that listen to the podcast. They're really excited about you being in the organization about your future. So do you have anything you want to say to kind of, I mean, these are kind of new fans for you in a lot of ways, right? You've been, you've been a, a, a demon deacon. You've been, you know, you've been a lot of things, but now you're an Atlanta brave and there's a lot of fans excited about you. So anything you want to share with them? Absolutely. I was at, I was at game three of the world series and that was the most electric environment I've ever been in. And I've been to some, some playoff games in a bunch of different sports and I was really surprised and um, really pumped to see how, great the, the Braves fan base is and how how really it's just getting going I think what we saw this year with the World Series is just a little taste of the next um the next period here to be an Atlanta Braves so I'm I couldn't be more excited to be part of the organization and I think it really starts with the fans that make it so special first thing in the morning as soon as you wake up the to-do list starts does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on Home mom? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. 
Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.